And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 204 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We have traded Andrew Bagley for relief help. I have Melissa Lockhart here as a pinch hitter, a reliever. No, we said relief help. Melissa, how are you doing today? Good. I'm bringing my 96 mile per hour fastball and unhittable slider. Unhittable slider? No, if you're in the Giants bullpen, <laughs> it's got to be, you got to hang a few of those. All right. This is episode 204. 204, that is the batting average of Steven Duggar this year for the River Cats, um, which probably isn't good. That might be a metaphor for the Giants outfield production as far as minor leaguers in the last 30, 40 years. Uh, we're going to talk about some minor leaguers. Is that okay, Melissa? Yeah, it sounds like something I'm, you know, well equipped to talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. So talk real quick because I'm always fascinated. You started as uh, A-centric like you, you follow the A's and you covered the A's and you minor leaguers, A's, A's, A's. But now you know more about the Giants farm system than uh, almost anyone. Did that, is that an, because of the job? Did you always know more about the, the Giants than other minor league systems? Or how'd you become such a Giants prospect maven? <laughs> well, I mean, I think you do this long enough and you start to pick up prospects everywhere. So I think there was a some familiarity in the I'm not going to tell you how many years I've been doing this because I'd like you to think <laughs> I'm not 85 years old. But so you know, and it helps that uh, there are two franchises not that far from here. So I, I always saw a lot of San Jose and then, you know, Fresno when they were coming into Sacramento back when the A's are in Sacramento. And then of course, Sacramento when I would go up there to see the A's affiliate come in. So, you know, by inertia, or whatever you might osmosis, I kind of had a, a decent foundation. But uh, when I came on board with The Athletic, it was with the idea that I would do both teams. So I learned up in a hurry. And uh, thankfully, they've been very accommodating in terms of teaching me, you know, who to look for uh, within the system. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's a great organization to cover that way. There's a lot of really good people that work for them. So hopefully I sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> You are my editor, and so I, I love just writing something about prospects because I know that the person reading it is going to know more than I do and say, oh, you, you kind of should maybe touch on this or have you thought about that? And I love that. I absolutely love that. So when you're starting to write about baseball, why prospects? How does that catch your fancy? Um, was there like a tipping point? Was it always just what you were drawn toward? Why prospects? Back in the early days of the internet, there was a lot of sites that were kind of coming on board that were covering teams in different ways. And I got connected pretty early on with a, a site that is 
primarily known for college football and basketball recruiting. Um, it's now known as scout.com was bought by 24 seven. There's a long line of different names it used to have, but you know, essentially their baseball sites, the idea was anybody can go and get the newspaper and find out about the big league team, but there isn't that much about the minor leagues. And, and even back then, you know, there wasn't MILB.com. Baseball America always had great content, but it wasn't out as frequently as it is now. You know, it was kind of a weekly or maybe even monthly thing. So so to find out anything about your farm system um, was pretty deep digging. And the idea was that we could cover that without actually being credentialed at the big league level, which was something that was at the time, I'm sure you remember back in the day, was extremely difficult to get any kind of credential if you weren't working for a print publication. So that was kind of the way I started. And I, you know, I have to say, I'm not sure I ever thought it would end up here. It was a hobby when I began. <laughs> so, you know, it, it took a long road to get out this way, but I got really lucky in that, um, I think the first spring training I went down to uh, Phoenix, I was over at Papago and um, I had emailed Keith Lippman on a whim, the A's farm director to say, you know, I'd love to to chat with you, did not expect a response. And he actually responded and sat down with me for an hour, which was incredible. It was pretty neat to actually see him get inducted into the A's Hall of Fame over the weekend. But, you know, that sort of kickstarted it. And when you have the ability to talk to people coaches and player development staff um, about the players that are coming through your interest in it just gets more and more engaged i think like you know it's just like every story of a minor league player is so interesting because of all the different ways they have to change to get to the big leagues it's so different from you know really football and basketball where it's like the player who the, whoever the player is when they're drafted is kind of who they're going to be you know when they get to to the big league level there but there's so many iterations of what a player is when they're in the minor leagues and and i just every year that i've done this it's become more and more interesting to see that I'd like that you used the word luck because people ask me all the time. It's like, you know, how, how did you do, how'd you build a career out of this? And so, I don't know, like back when I, back when I started, it was just an itch I had to scratch. You're not thinking, oh, well, this is going to lead, you know, one day I'm going to be the lead columnist for the Chronicle. It's like, no, I was just, you know, writing stuff online, my opinions online, and somehow I'm here and I have no idea how that happened. So it's, when you, when you start writing about prospects, you're not thinking, Hey, like this is going to be the path one day. One day I'm going to be the editor for a major sports. No, that's not how you're starting. No, I, in fact, I was a legal assistant and then I was a marketing person at a law firm. So I could not have been further away from this as a career <laughs> than I was at the time. For Scout and 24-7, was that a subscription-based site? It was, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because um, I think that was a, a change for a lot of our writers and, uh, you know, uh, editors as they came over to The Athletic, the idea of being behind a paywall. But um, I've been behind a paywall pretty much ever since I started. And, you know, it, it can be frustrating when you know you're giving people information that only a few people are reading because only a few people are, are paying for it. Um, and all these other people for free are perhaps grabbing that information and using it without attribution. But, you know, it's the only way you can fund these kind of things now. So, but yeah, I've been uh, kind of ensconced behind that wall since 2004, back in the early, early days of all of this. 
This is a pro paywall podcast. So exactly. Yes. Pay up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the state of the, the Giants farm system. Uh, I'm not sure whether to start with the negative or the positive. So I guess I'll start with the negative insofar as this farm system entered the season as a highly rated farm system, a farm season with a lot of uh, farm system with a lot of expectations. It was it had a lot of depth in the lower minors, a lot of intriguing prospects at every level. It's been a little disappointing. It hasn't been an abject disaster. It's not like you can point to every prospect and say this, oh, what a disaster, because you still have Luciano doing well. You still have Kyle Harrison progressing, uh, becoming a top 25 prospect, perhaps. But overall, it's been a little underwhelming. Is there something you can put your finger on when you think of the Giants farm system? Is it underwhelming this year to you? What's your take of the state of the system? Honestly, last year, they really, and I'm going to use the word luck, but I think anyone in baseball is going to feel the same way. They got lucky in terms of injuries. Uh, you know, they came out of the pandemic as well prepared as any organization. Uh, they did a great job uh, with their coaches being in touch with players, giving them really comprehensive training programs during 2020 when there was no games to be played. And they came in, I think, with their players better equipped to play a long season than almost any other organization. And I think you saw that in the results. But, you know, baseball is a game of fluky injuries, and they've just had a lot of them this year. You know, you look at Ryan Murphy was one of the breakout players of last season, and he really hasn't had a chance to get on the mound for more than a couple weeks at a time this entire season. So it's difficult to say there's anything wrong with his development. You know, it's just one of those things where a back injury pops up and it's like, you know, I think Kyle uh, Haynes had said, you know, they went a long time without riding buses, you know, and pitching competitively and as many reps as you can get in bullpens, putting on cleats and actually going down a mound in a competitive environment can do things to your body that you didn't necessarily expect. And so I think there's been a lot of those kind of soft tissue injuries that have popped up. Thankfully, they haven't had any disastrous like labrum tears or Tommy John surgeries for the most part in the system with the, the pitching. So. I think they can recover from it, but it's just been frustrating in the sense of not being able to have all your cards out on the table and gaining reps uh, the way you would like to see it. You know, same with Luciano. I mean, he was having a fabulous year. I think you'd probably be talking about him in double A and perhaps even looking at where he could be slotted in for next season at the major league level, but he just hasn't been able to play, you know, because of this back injury. So there isn't a lot you can do to prevent that you know, as much as you want to. Uh, there's certainly nothing from a nutrition or training perspective the Giants could do better, really. They're really great at that stuff. It happens because it's a, it's a weird sport that does funny things to your body and you're wearing little metal spikes on, on you know, on, on gravel and, and these things happen. So, you know, I think that's kind of the where a lot of the sort of attrition has happened. Um, Luis Matos' season is obviously the one I think you can really point to and be like, that's very disappointing because it is a bit, you know, of a mystery as to why he struggled as much as he has. Um, he did have an injury, which obviously interrupted his season, but even coming back, he hasn't had the same sort of level of play that you would have expected from him. So, you know, I think he is probably the one, and, and because he is probably the number two prospect, that's the thing that's you know, most disappointing. Um, but, you know, everything else I think has been relatively normal in terms of, um, you know, what you see with players from year to year. And there have been really good stories. I mean, Casey Schmidt, Carter Aldretti, these are players that are legitimately good prospects now that maybe people weren't paying attention to last year. 
Absolutely. And that's when you talk about Matos and you talk about the overall state of the system, it's almost like a learning lesson for me because the excitement about the giant system coming into the year had a lot to do with lower level prospects, prospects who were maybe 20 or just turning 21, younger prospects. And it's, I have to remind myself, there's going to be a lot that happens, even with the best prospects, even with uh, the most talented five-tool players between the ages of 20 and maybe 22, 23. So when I look at Luis Matos and I see, oh gosh, he's hitting 187 and oh man, like what's going on? Is he too passive? Is he too this? He's 20. He's 20 and in high A. And how much do I give him like a pass for that? How much should we say, oh, well, he's advanced, but at the same time, this is still very concerning as opposed to an older prospect who is maybe thriving in high A. How much should age factor into this when you're looking at disappointments and surprising successes? Development isn't a straight line for any prospect. So I think using generalities is difficult, you know, overall. I think Though both Luis Matos and Iro Primeras is the other guy that, you know, got off to a disappointing start. He's looked better lately, but, um, you know, I think they had very specific things that were going to be problematic coming into the season that didn't really catch up to them at the low A level. And that was that they swung at almost everything, right? They have both an innate ability to make contact on almost everything. And I think that's something that's going to, you know, if they can figure out what pitches are best suited for them to hit is going to be a great skill, right? It's that Vlad Guerrero ability to touch a a pitch that a pitcher wanted to make and and make good contact on it. But the difficulty is in low A, pitchers are not ever making the pitches they want to make. You know, it's especially right now, I think, you know, levels changed a lot last year. They got rid of short season and a lot of the teams kind of through a weird mix of players at low A and it really still hasn't stabilized. And so the league itself kind of played a little bit of a mix of short season or rookie ball and low A. And I think maybe we didn't get a good feel for what, you know, where a lot of players were at that were at that level last season. So, you you know, you come into this season, high A is a little more advanced. You've got a lot more college age pitchers who know where they're, you know, throwing the ball, who can mix their pitches a lot better than um, they could at the, that lower level. And all of a sudden that lack of plate discipline is exposed far more than it was um, at that level. And so it was a problem that they were going to have to address. Personally, I think it's better they're having to address it at high A than they do, say, at triple A, because by then uh, the ship has almost sailed a little bit. You know, the player is kind of who he is at a certain point. But if they can figure it out now, you know, and that light bulb goes on, they've got so much more runway only being 20, 21 at high A than they would if, you know, in answering your question, if they were 24 at that level, right? So that's where I think age makes a big difference. Um, these are not mysteries as to why they've struggled in the sense of there was this flaw. It's just surprising that it was maybe exposed as significantly as it has been so far this year. Yeah, and it speaks to when I think about the farm system and my qualms with the system right now, it has far less to do with Matos and Palmeros. It has far less to do with uh, Luciano's back. It has far less to do with anything going on in the lower minors. It has more to do with the production the Giants are able to count on with their minor leaguers, the Elliot Ramos, Joey Bart's hitting much better. But the the prospects that they might want to promote, whether it's Sean Jelly or the, the major league ready or major league adjacent players, there just aren't that many of them. And when you see Sacramento versus Oklahoma City and you look at the box scores and you look at 
what kind of prospects both teams are throwing out there. They're very, very, very different. So are the Giants going to get a pipeline going from Sacramento into the majors anytime soon? Or is that a couple years away even? I think that was always going to be the case, right? Like they were a bottom heavy organization in terms of where their concentration of talent was coming into this season. It was really concentrated double A on down um, because the best players were high A on down the year before. And, you know, players can't necessarily jump faster than they are capable of jumping, if that makes sense. So there was always going to be that gap. I, you know, and I think in part the way that, um, you know, Farhan likes to use his AAA team it's a little bit tricky because so many of those guys are brought in with the idea that they are supposed to be, you know, these waiver wire pickups that are going to come up and maybe become, you know, Luis Gonzalez or or whoever else. And so you end up with a situation where some of those guys at Double A aren't necessarily getting an opportunity to come up and be the ones that are going to jump to the to the big league level. But also, you didn't have a huge concentration of Double A talent ready to jump into Triple A. And I do think that that core group of players that started the year at Eugene, they are getting closer. Not every single one of them has played as well as you would have liked, but a number of them have. And that's the core that is going to eventually force them to treat Sacramento a lot more like these are prospects that we're trying to build around as opposed to these are sort of roster fringe guys that we are um, kind of playing at the margins with. And that's the point where you can really look at AAA becoming a feeder for the big league team. But that was going to take time. I mean, you know, you can't overnight sort of remake a system. And the system was very thin when they took over four years ago. And if you think of it as a four-year cycle, you know, these guys are kind of in year two or three, uh, a lot of them in the system in that cycle. And they're getting closer, but there's, you know, five levels to move up. And so, um, and they tend to go one year at a time with a lot of their players. So that's, that's I think, where they're, they're at right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we have now covered the quibbles with the farm system in 2022. Let's talk about the fun stuff. Let's talk about, um, I have a note scribbled here and it reads, quote, Kyle Harrison, colon, good, question mark, end quote. Uh, Kyle Harrison, is he pretty good? He seems pretty good. Seems pretty good, yes. <laughs> very, very good. The only thing between him and the major leagues is throwing the baseball where he wants to. Is that is that about right? Yeah, I think so. You know, you, you look at, he's got a very funky delivery. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people saw him pitch in, in the Futures game and, um, you know, set aside the results there. Like, you look at that throwing motion and you, you try to imagine being a hitter and 
standing in the box when someone looks like that throwing the ball at you and is throwing in the upper 90s with lots of like other pitches that can move yeah that that is not a pleasant thought i think for anyone even if you're right-handed so it is a matter of being able to you know figure out location um sequencing i think is going to be something that you know he'll focus a lot on uh you know when to throw his best pitches and when to kind of get hitters set up better with his secondary offerings because they won't necessarily be as overpowered by them at any count, you know, as they would be in the lower levels. But these are all refinement things. And, um, the, you know, the arm talent and the maturity that he's shown as he's moved up each level are, you know, all A-plus quality. And, you know, really, I mean, you look around baseball and there may be an argument for one or two other left-handed prospects that are better than him right now. Like, I mean, I think you could make an argument he's the best left-handed starting pitching prospect in baseball. So his development could not, I really think, gone better at this point than uh, what they could have dreamed on when they took him in 2020. It's tricky because, uh, like you said, it's it's a four-year cycle is what you're looking for in a farm system. The new regime did not take over a robust farm system. They did have a lot of the prospects in the system, Luciano and Matos, that, that they're able to, to bring along. But at the same time, you can't judge them yet. But when you start looking at the first round picks and you start looking at Hunter Bishop and Patrick Bailey and you're a little underwhelmed there... The existence of Kyle Harrison, to me, almost counteracts all of that because it took a lot of vision, took a lot of creativity to get him into the system, to get him away from UCLA. And that's what I think you want to look for going forward is, can the Giants use their creativity to get a player like Kyle Harrison into the system? Can they be creative with those lower picks? Because the Dodgers are never picking in the top 10 and they somehow end up with Will Smith and Walker Mueller. That's what I want to see from the Giants. So to me, Kyle Harrison is an embodiment of the best case scenario of what this system can be. Yeah, I think so. And and you look at the rest of that class. I mean, there's some good players that have come along as well. I mean, Casey Schmidt is again, I'm, you know, I'm really high on him. I think people have not really uh, zeroed in on how special a player he could be. Um, but his ability not only to hit, but to, to make a difference with the glove. Um, you know, you look at the deficiencies of the Giants at the big league level right now. And, you know, he's a guy who could anchor that third base in a very positive way for a very long time from a defensive perspective. You know, he was not their first pick, and he was picked with the idea that they were going to take Kyle Harrison not shortly after him, so he wasn't even the highest bonus guy they could have taken at that slot, but they found a great player there. So, yeah, I mean, I think that is definitely a good sign, that that draft. Uh, You know, Ryan Murphy at the end of it, uh, you know, I still think, I'm still a big believer in him. I think this year he'll he'll probably pitch in the fall league and have a chance to come out next year and move up through AA and AAA fairly quickly. So that was a great draft, and I think there, you know, there's a lot of time you have to wait and see on last year's draft, they went so pitching heavy that it's going to take a little bit of time to sort through. But there's a lot of reasons to believe in what they're doing. The one breakout prospect that I'm fascinated by, because it's that mix of people were were telling you, hey, this might happen, and then it happens, and that's Grant McRae. He is doing things in San Jose that are really, really exciting, and it's exciting because he's drafted in the third round, and everyone's saying it's tools, tools, tools. He has the potential to be a dude, and then you have the pandemic, and then you come back, and then you know he's he's got a limited number of at-bats, but now it seems like he's breaking out and becoming maybe a five-tool player. Is he... How high up is he rising in the prospect ranks? Yeah, I think he's got a chance to be a top 100 prospect. I mean, he is, um, he's added power to the overall game this year. He filled out his body quite a bit in the last 
uh, 12 months or so. And so he's reaching that power potential a lot earlier than people expected him to. Um, he's got plus speed. He's an outstanding defender like his dad was. And, you know, he's a guy who you could you could slot at the top of the lineup and you could probably slot in towards the middle of the lineup. But he's a great athlete. And I think, you know, the, obviously the Giants need more great athletes in their system. And he's the kind of prototype maybe that you would look at um, for that moving forward. Yeah, I think he's outstanding. And it certainly I would put him and Schmidt as the two kind of breakout guys this year. Just for anyone listening who is not familiar, his dad is the one who ran through, literally ran through a wall in the outfield. It was a pre, I don't know when that happened. That was like pre-internet viral in the way we know it now, but it still circulated on the internet. If you've ever seen a dude running through a minor league wall, that was Grant McRae's dad. I'm pretty sure it was on the B-roll for This Week in Baseball back in the day. Oh my gosh, it's, it's that, yeah, I guess so. If that's his dad, it was that long ago. But yeah, it's a very famous clip and I urge you to seek it out because he's okay. He had a son and the son is now raking in the Giants system and playing. He plays, he says strong fielder, is that correct? Yeah, he can cover a ton of ground in center field and he'll, he'll be able to stay there. That's exciting. And on the pitching side, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but the biggest breakout prospect for this year is Mason Black. Is that about right? Yeah, he's been great. You know, the other guy that I think people should pay attention to from last year's draft is Eric Silva. Uh, you know, he's his ERA is not great in San Jose, but every scout that sees him pitch is just blown away by the stuff. And there's been just, you know, some fluky low A defense behind him, which wouldn't be surprising. But the strikeout numbers are what you would expect for a guy with his stuff. He's going to only continue to grow to get better. But yeah, him and then Black is, you know, he's around 100 miles an hour, jumped up to high A already, uh, you know, really strong uh, starting pitching frame. So uh, a lot to dream on with him. Silva is kind of that same gambit where you're talking about uh, you're stealing, not just stealing a guy away from his college commitment with money, but stealing him away from UCLA. Does UCLA hate the Giants? Is is there a thing now? (laughs) I'm sure they do. Yeah. I bet you there's a lot of Dodgers slash Bruins fans who are just annoyed as all heck, and uh, I'm I'm pro that on this podcast. We're a pro annoying Bruins and Dodgers fans uh, podcast. Absolutely, yeah. No, I think, um, and there were no famous fathers there. I, I remember they they had what Eric Harris's son and one <laughs> other, but yeah. So um, no, the, the the Giants have done. You know, I think that third and fourth round are actually two rounds to really pay attention to in drafts uh, moving forward because the start of day two is when you know teams have had a chance to go and call all the guys that didn't get taken in day one and see what it would take to bring them in and then kind of reconfigure their strategy from there. And you you do see first round talent in those those two rounds quite frequently now in the way that the bonus pool is set up. So um, you know, I, I, it's not surprising they've done well in those rounds and. And I think they've they've really kind of put their strategy towards focusing on the top of that day two, um, you know, pick when they're doing that. So I I, I think every, every year you're going to look at those guys and think of them as sort of around that first round talent. And this kind of brings up a huge change since I've been paying attention to prospects and farm systems where you just casually mentioned, yeah, Mason Black, he's, he's touching 100 miles an hour now. He's a third rounder out of Lehigh. And it seems like it was five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, where if a guy was throwing triple digits at any point, if he just did it once, it wow, and minds were blown and he's on the prospect hot sheet for Baseball America now it's you know a lot more routine. I'm not sure if you're ever going to get used to 100 mile per hour fastballs, but it's just you hear it a lot more. How has that changed how you're evaluating prospects? How the how the industry is evaluating prospects? How can you look past raw velocity to to see results and see the forest for the trees, so to speak? 
Yeah, it's changed it a ton. I mean, uh, you know, 92 is a soft thrower and that used to be somebody <laughs> that throws hard, right? So it's a lot more about what they can do with those pitches. It's a lot more about looking what, what else they bring, you know, with those, um, how healthy they can stay throwing that hard, because I think that's been the other part, the flip side of all the velocity gains is that there's been a lot more injuries. Um, but it's also what's been interesting is you can look at a guy that comes in throwing 92, they can come in and they can, they can be built up to throw 98 in the next year. You know, these velocity camps are doing unbelievable stuff. And so um, that's been the biggest change because a guy isn't who he is when he's drafted anymore. He can change a lot more as a pitcher. As a position player, they kind of are who they are a little bit. You can refine the approach at the plate and all that. But pitchers can make such dramatic changes to their overall repertoire because of the velocity gains now that um, I think that's the thing that's changed the most. Um, and we're, we're going to have to see what it does, though, for longevity of careers. And I think um, that's sort of the next stage is kind of looking at, like, is this good for everybody, <laughs> you know, that we're, that we're having these guys throwing this hard and routinely throwing their arms out doing it. But, um, you know, the, the velocity, you know, is, I mean, 100 miles an hour is kind of most staffs have at least one now, which is unbelievable. That is wild. All right, we're running out of time, so I'm going to do a little bit of a lightning round here. Or, I mean, listen, if, if you were grabbed by the first name that I say, keep at it because I'm fascinated by this pick. Will Bednar, he was supposed to be a fast mover, someone who you didn't have to project. You didn't have to squint a lot to see him rise through the minor leagues quickly. He's had a little bit of control command issues in the lower minors. He might be a slower mover than perhaps expected. When I saw the profile of Bednar as, as a as a right-handed starter who was projectable like that, it reminded me of Chris Stratton. It reminded me of Tyler Beattie. It reminded me of a long list of pitchers who didn't necessarily vault through the minor leagues is it still too early is has there been chatter about him uh, around the the industry what's your take on Bedner yeah I mean it's definitely not been the year I think anyone hoped and obviously the injury hasn't helped I almost wonder if he's got a little dead arm coming off of pitching so deep into the college world series and having as much emotion and energy put into that as he had to go through last year he may have been running a little on adrenaline when he turned pro at the end of last summer and so perhaps that's just sort of the like back end but his stuff hasn't looked quite as good as it did last year so I think we have to wait and see what happens next year uh, Will Wilson, he was another one of the, the gambits that I liked where the Giants got him essentially for money. He's on the 60-day IL now after a promotion, which is a, a bit of a bummer. But is he future utility guy? Do they still have hopes that one day he can be a starter, perhaps at second base? What's what's up with Will Wilson? Yeah, actually, good news. I saw today they put him on the um, rehab list in, in Arizona. So there's a decent chance, perhaps, that he'll get back on the field before the end of the year, which is great. But they were really excited about what they saw from him this year. He was hitting the ball a lot better than the stat line showed at, at uh, Richmond, hitting the ball really hard, playing with a lot more energy than I think they saw last year. Plays a really nice uh, up-the-middle defense, and I think we'll be able to move around. So I, I could see that sort of Estrada kind of role for him. I've never said this name out loud, and I'm realizing this for the first time as I'm about to say it out loud, but uh, Diego Rinconis, I thought that he was potentially going to find his way to the major leagues this year. He has stalled a little bit. Is there going to be a, kind of that ceiling he has to crack because he's a, a swing first player? Is there going to be a lot more adjustment time for him? 
Yeah, I don't think it was an adjustment thing. He had a wrist injury in spring training that he played through, and um, you could see almost the day that his wrist started to feel better that he was hitting the ball with a lot more authority. He was making the same kind of contact. It just wasn't going anywhere until that wrist felt better. So I think he still is who he is. Um, he does swing at almost everything. He does make contact on almost everything, which is pretty amazing. I, I see him as sort of like a fourth outfielder type who could come in off a bench and be kind of an effective pinch hitter with that role, um, as you know, with that that skill set as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the upper levels. But his his bat to ball skills are really special. All right, two more quick questions. Uh, the first one is: of all the prospects we have not mentioned, who is your sleeper in the Giants system? I really like uh, Averson Ortega, the shortstop uh, down in San Jose. Um, not only a very, an interesting hitter, hits with power, he's got good speed, but he's a dynamic defensive player at shortstop. He's really a, like a true shortstop that's going to stay there. Um, so I, I look for him to do big things next season. And finally, if you could choose, if you had to choose just one Giants writer to edit, would it be Andrew Baggerly or would it be Grant Brisby? Who's sending me the, the biggest <laughs> <laughs> bottle of wine? Um, no, you guys are both great. It, it makes it, my job extremely easy. All right. Well, Melissa, thank you so much uh, for joining us. It's, I, I love talking prospects. Um, we don't do it a ton on Bags and Brisby it's just because we're not the experts. So I think we should have you on more often because you're the danged expert. So I, I appreciate you sharing, sharing your knowledge with us. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. All right, this has been episode 204 of the Bags and Brisby and Lockard podcast. Uh, we will be back on, der, what is today? Today is a Thursday. I think we're going to be back on Monday, and we hope that you'll tune in as well. So we'll see you then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.